I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, Episode 40, Beyond Gamers and Evil. This is Strange Assembly, a podcast about card games, board games, and role-playing games with a focus on the Legend of the Five Rings universe. You can download additional episodes of this podcast via iTunes or on our website, www.strangeassembly.com. While you're there, you can check out our main page or stop in and say hi on the forums. You can also follow those main page updates on Facebook or Twitter. Any comments or criticisms can be directed to Chris at strangeassembly.com. Enjoy the show. Well, Strange Assembly listeners, I'm, as always, Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Jay Earl. Hello! And some guy you don't know, so why don't you introduce yourself, Mike? Hi, uh, my name is Mike Cook. I'm also known as Doji Kiyoshi on the Crane forums, or Kingslayer on the AEG forums. You're mostly a Crane player then? Oh, yeah. And how long have you been playing L5R? Uh, I've been collecting L5R since about 95. I've actually been playing for like... Probably since Stardust Celestial. Okay, and and Mike is also a guy who uh, walks home from Gen Con with seventeen bags worth of of new stuff. Yeah, the the big fantasy flight bag. I had that one uh, pretty much completely filled. Only one. Yeah. Wow. That's all they had. I guess it is a pretty big, pretty big bag. And my hand was hurting very much. <laughs> well, today is going to be a little bit of a different episode in that it's going to consist entirely of board game reviews that are not L5R games. So this is going to be the first episode that's entirely the Beyond part of L5R and Beyond. Just wanted to give you a a little heads up. We're going to have the new Penny Arcade game, Fantasy Flight's Rune Age, which came out at Gen Con, and then a combined review of Seven Wonders, which has been out for quite a while, and the new expansion for that, Leaders. In L5R news, though, we would like to say a fond farewell to uh, Rusty Prisk, whose name I think I pronounced right this time, even though I'm really bad at that. Just pronounce it like three or four different ways. Maybe one of them will rewrite. Yes, but then I will have pronounced it wrong more <laughs> times than I would have pronounced it correctly. Well, sure, if you're a pessimist. How could I pronounce it three or four different ways and have them all be right? But, but, but no, 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 you're looking at it as you'll get it wrong three times instead of as you'll get it right once. Okay, then. <laughs> uh, oh, then, uh, on with the show. This is the Strange Assembly review of Penny Arcade the Game, Gamers vs. Evil. I'm Chris Stevenson. I'm Jay Earl. I'm Mike Cook. This is the most recent of the Penny Arcade games. It is not to be confused with the existing Fantasy Flight, Gabe vs. Tycho, Silverline game, or 
some other uh, penny uh, arcade game that I'd never heard of that Mike was just talking about? Yeah, it was for the um, Versus system, which technically Fantasy Flight also has rights to. Penny Arcade, the game Gamers vs. Evil, is a deck-building game, and it is from Cryptozoic Entertainment, whose I think most well-known property right now is the World of Warcraft TCG. Right. If I remember correctly, they were spun off entirely for the World of Warcraft TCG, so... That's correct. Yeah. Although they do have other stuff now. Yes. Yes. They've got um, the Walking Dead board game that's come out, uh, Food Fight, which is another card game that's come out, and then this one. For the last three gamers in the world who don't know what a deck-building game is yet, uh, the general concept of the game is that you start with a fixed deck of weak cards. Over the course of the game, you add more cards to your deck, and then you do something with that deck. Well, I guess you just add, 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 add cards to your deck. But usually in, in the most deck-building games these days, you do something else with them. Although this one, I think you mostly just add cards to it. Yeah, you, yeah. you add cards to get points to yeah. win. So uh, obviously this is based on the online strip. All of the jokes are out of the strip. All of the art is out of the comic strip. You have two resources in the game and then two categories of cards that you're buying with them. You have... Uh, tokens, which buy gamer cards, and you have power, which buy evil cards, and then evil cards are worth some victory points, gamer cards are not worth victory points, you build up your deck to go after bosses, there's one evil boss and one gamer boss, the evil boss represents you beating someone up, and they join you, and then the gamer boss represents you convincing someone to help you. Yeah, getting presents. Yeah. The game starts with a certain random number of cards out on the table available for purchase, and it ends when you've depleted half of those stacks, give or take, or have gone all the way through one of the boss stacks. Uh, The other wrinkle on this one is that you have a starting character, which, I mean, obviously that's something that's been done in other deck-building games, but you have a starting character. You have Gabe, you have Tycho... You have Anarchy, you have uh, Catsby, and, uh, Rex Ready, some other characters. And then a whole bunch of other one-shots the, from the comic strip. Yeah. And those characters can modify what your starting deck is and or give you some sort of special ability. So your deck starts with cardboard tubes to generate you power. Good old cardboard two samurai. And he's one of the gamer bosses. Or you have quarters, which are worth tokens. Gabe is better at gamer stuff. He starts with more quarters in his deck. Yes, and, and then Tycho's he gets the opposite. And he gets extra tokens every turn, or an extra token every turn. Tycho starts with more cardboard tubes. Other characters have different balances. There are several of the characters who replace one of those with a special card. Anarchy starts with the bat left. Catsby starts with Twisp. And Rex Ready starts with his license to kill. Yeah, most of the decks are they're split even 6-6, six, six, but some of them are like 7-5. Anybody else? Am I missing anything about the basics of playing the game? Uh, well, just more specifically about the bosses. So you have three levels of boss. There's boss loot that you buy. The first four are 8, the second four are 10, and then the last one doesn't have any loot, but he's 13, he gives you victory points, and he ends the game. Yeah. So, what did each of you guys think about the game? 
it's okay. It's it's a competent game. I, I can't say that it's it's not as bad as some other ones that I've played. But most of the uh, deck building games I've played are, are they tend to move forward. Uh, you know, obviously we've had quite a few, and there's a lot flooding the market anymore. Um, it feels like half of all of the game companies' lines are deck building games anymore. Um, they're the new hotness. They are the new hotness, yeah. and they're a lot of fun. There's a good reason. It mixes a lot of really fun things. Uh, Penny Arcade. It does what it does decently well, but it doesn't really feel like it's moving forward. The bosses are the only thing that are kind of new to me, and even that, I, I don't know. I, I could take it or leave it. It doesn't really add that much to me, to it, to the game for me. I think when you say moving forward, you mean adding some new innovation to the genre. I think that was also something that felt a little bit different about this that most deck building games, I guess most games generally have a very clear sense of progression as you go through the game that you're more and more able to get better and better stuff. And, you know, in a strategy game, you might build up more and more resources and buy better and better units. In a deck building game, it's usually, okay, I, I, buy, a bigger, I buy a bigger resource card and then I am able to get some of the bad ones out and then I get up to the even bigger resource cards. Whereas in the gameplay of this, other than getting up a little bit bigger finally to get the bosses, it doesn't. It didn't feel as much as you had a clear sense of progression, especially depending on what your spread of cards were. You could have a spread of cards that was devoid of an automatic progression. I think in part because there's only yeah, but the two build things you know usually like if you go back to you know dominion the granddaddy of everything you've got copper and then you've got silver and then you build up to gold in in this you've got the equivalent of a copper and a silver and there are there are cards that are the equivalent of golds but they're just in the random cards and you may or may not get them well also just because you have the two resources you don't necessarily feel like oh that's six cost i have to save up for a while if your hand is right, you can buy the six cost f right off the bat. Whereas there are definitely cards in Dominion where you're like, okay, I'm going to have to save up to be able to afford the province. I can't just right off the bat luck into one. No, no, you can't. Yeah, the the cost for the non-bosses, the cost curves tops out at six, which, yeah, you could theoretically, if you had all six of one right. or, in your I hand, mean, get it right away. If you're playing someone who gets a bonus to their stat, you wouldn't necessarily need all six of them. I mean, even at the, the five cost, you can relatively easily get the five, five cost ones right off the bat without having to save for them. So they lose some of the specialness that the more expensive ones are in other games. Yeah. And I think they try to mitigate that some by the fact that there's no limit on the number of cards you can buy per turn. Mm. I don't think they really could have with the way that they split the decks, essentially. Um, but So you could theoretically buy two or three of like a, the two costs if you were theming that way. But I don't feel like there was anything that was really that like great to, if, for that to be a great strategy. There's not really that many that low a cost card anyways. Right. Yes, you can certainly buy multiple cards, but as far as what Chris was talking about of feeling like you're progressing, being able to buy two cards does not have the same feeling of progression as being able to buy the really super cool card. Yeah. Well, it, well in addition, it, it doesn't have... It, there, are, there are only very limited ways to shred cards out of your deck. Hmm. And 
which is not something that's always in deck building games, but is sometimes in there, and that that eliminates another way where you can increase the you know density of good stuff in your deck to get to bigger things. But and I I feel like we're you know we're sort of saying the things that are wrong with it. I guess the problem is the, the things that are right with it are the things that are sort of right with the deck building genre generally. If you like this sort of thing, it's not that it's a bad game. It's just to some extent, it's going to amount to, do you like right, Penny I mean, Arcade and what to look at? I mean, because it's got the, a bunch of funny things from Penny Arcade. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem with it is it's insufficiently distinct from other deck-building games for it to feel like... I mean, yes, if you have no other deck-building games, this is a fine one to pick up, but if mm-hmm. you've already got three or four deck-building games, this doesn't necessarily feel like it's adding enough for you to want to play thi- to have this to play instead of Dominion or Ascension or uh, Nightfall, or what have you. Well, I don't say that. Nightfall really is in its own little universe, but... Even the cards that are replicas of other cards in other games, um, like the... uh, What is it? Sorcelator? Sorcelator. Yeah. Plus one token, plus one power, draw a card. Right. Um, And he is five tokens. So that same card in Dominion is... um, Oh, which is it? Uh, but it's essentially it's it's a less cost, so you can get them faster. Uh well, I, I think that that the cards that you're thinking of in Dominion that cost less, they're usually like plus one card, plus one action because oh, they yeah, just no, I'm replace of, themselves and yeah. do something minor. When you get up the the Sorcelator, it does two things and it draws you a card. It doesn't have to give you another action because it already does. And if you look at a, well, because if, there's no action. Yeah, if you want a card in Dominion that gives you plus one card and plus one action and gives you two other things. Well, you've got Those market. cost five, yeah, those, usually, so that and that five, costs that five. five. So, so uh, I, I think it's... I mean, the, the problem was with, with it that we weren't that excited about it was that by giving one of each resource, most of our games, we were focus firing one or the other, or at least the game where we had that card available, it was focus fire one or the other rather than the split. So usually it'd be like, okay, that's plus one to the one I'm going to buy with, and one I can't spend on anything. Well, and the, the the one I guess I would I'd say maybe it is most comparable to would be maybe market, which is plus one buy, plus one card, plus one action, plus one goal. So that's a lot of game breaking stuff that you're doing there because you're getting another card, you're getting another action, you're getting another buy. Source later by at the same five is like plus one plus one. So neither one give you a whole lot of resources, but the extra draw card, the other one lets you do more. I don't know. I, I know like it felt like. There's one or two guards that gave you like plus three, but a lot of it was still plus two, plus one. So I kept my hand kept being full of like smaller. I guess at the same time that they have compared to something like Dominion, at the it's it's split out into two different resources, but because there are less restrictions on what you can do, that takes away something that you can use to add variety of the cards. Like we're basically saying, there's an, you get an unlimited number of card purchases a turn. And there's no limit on on actions per turn or anything like that. So by default, really, there the only generic things you can do with a card are give resource A tokens, give resource B power, or draw draw more cards. the The other things are not in there for default. So you more quickly run out of space to explore in the card design with very basic things. 
I, I do like the boss edition. Not only is it the most distinctive and innovative way of adding to the game, I think it's also the most flavorful part of the game because not not I mean, most of the cards okay. It's got some art from Penny Arcade on. You're like, oh, I remember the comic strip where they did that. That's a funny joke. But it just gives you plus two tokens. It doesn't really have anything to do with what's going on on the card. Whereas I thought that the boss loot cards, you know, kind of had, uh, you know, at least loosely something to do with what they were. The the Satan card gave you the, you know, deadly sins of gaming. And, you know, you could get, what, there was ninja looting, which lets you steal other players' cards. And kill stealing, which lets you... Uh, you know, sw- you know, use your resources for both different kinds of things and kind of swipe in something. Uh, so I liked, uh, I liked those the the best. Is there something else about the game that you guys particularly like? Well, uh, you know, now that you say the boss, I, I will say that um, just the one thing I really do like about the boss is it does give you clarity. Some of the problem that you run into, especially with new players for deck building games, is what am I going to do? I've got like right. 12 it's- random stacks I'm just going to randomly buy. This at least gives you something of a goal. Like, you know, okay, I need, no, I need to try and get to 8 and then I need to try to get to 10 and then I need to try and buy this thing. So, so it's kind of nice that it actually gives you more of a straightforward goal. Yeah, and, and I also like that it, the character cards, if you were just teaching someone to buy deck building games, you could possibly take those out, but and, and this isn't the first time that character cards have been used in a deck building game to modify stuff the the resident evil deck building games did that and i mean in fantasy flights rune age obviously makes that drastically different from from one thing to another but i i thought that they were well implemented here especially when combined for some of the cards when combined with the two different resources and types of cards you were doing, it could really push you in in different ways instead of just the, well, your character likes this one sort of card and, you know, here's hoping that it shows up in the, the random pool of cards for you to be able to, to use it. Okay, so overall, I think that we found... Penny Arcade, the game, Gamers vs. Evil, to be a perfectly functional deck-building game uh, that added a, an interesting mechanic in the, the boss, the bosses that we liked. Uh, however, it does not really advance the deck-building genre very much. If you don't have deck-building games and you want to explore it and you like Penny Arcade, it could be somewhere that's fun to start, but... If you've already got several deck building games, it it probably is not going to add enough gameplay distinctiveness to make you want to go out and drop 50 bucks on it. For uh, Mike Cook and JRL, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. This is the Strange Assembly uh, review of Rune Age, a deck-building game from Fantasy Flight. I'm Chris Stevenson. I'm Jay Earl. I'm Mike Cook. Rune Age is one of the entries in Fantasy Flight's, let's call them upsized, Silver Line games. They went from, I think, a $20 price point to a $30 price point. Uh, It is, like we said, a deck-building game. I 
think it's fair to say that in terms of game design, it is the most, I don't know if advanced is the right word, but it is progressed the most in the deck building genre, which, you know, has its ups and downs, depending on what you're looking for in a game. It's trying the hardest. Yeah. There's nothing else. It's, like it's design... the one pushing the limits right now. Yeah. yeah. So it's got factions. It's got three different kinds of resources. It's got multiple different sorts of scenarios. You can adjust it between heavy PvP, almost very, no PvP. It Julian's fries. Yes. Uh, it will not break. It will not break. It's... Oh, it broke. <laughs> <laughs> As every game that is, has the word rune in the title, it is set in Terranoth, although I know nothing about Terranoth, and I don't think you have to know anything about Terranoth to play the game. Like most deck-building games, you start with two different categories of cards in your deck. In Rune Age, you're starting with five one gold cards, and then three basic military units. Unlike most deck building games, your starting hand is actually not big enough to make it through the first two turns, so starting with your second turn, you're, you have the possibility, at least, of Getting having shiny new, new cards, cards in your deck yeah. right away. I like that. I like that quite a bit. Yeah. Normally, I'd, I'd start by here saying, this is how you win, but there's four different scenarios, and each of them has a different way to win, so... Within the deck, you personally have a five card, I think they call it a barracks, of cards that you can only you can access. And what those five cards are is the same in every game. And which five you have is based on your faction. There's an undead faction, there's a chaos faction, demons, something. Demons. There is a faction of knights, and there is a faction of elves. Each of them has a distinctive sort of flavor. The undead are heavily based around bringing back uh, reanimating skeletons, essentially. Right, which is why you get in trouble when you reshuffle your deck. Yeah. The knights tend to, to try to draw cards off the top of the deck to see what happens. The elves let you access your resources multiple times in a turn. And the, the chaos guys are good at damaging their own stuff damaging to, to get greater effect. Yeah. Now, in addition to those cards, every game has out in the middle the three money cards. It's just one gold, two gold, three gold. It has a variable number of city cards. The more players there are, the more cities. And then it has three other cards, neutral cards, yeah. that can do a variety of things. They all go in your deck, but it, it who knows what it is. And... Like I said, there are three resources, and they interact in a relatively complex way. Your deck starts with gold and a little bit of military, and it requires gold to buy the units in your barracks, and the units in your barracks, for the most part, produce military. Yeah. And then what you do with military is take cities... Or there's one specific stronghold card that's in your barracks. Cities and the stronghold card produce influence. And then you use influence to purchase the neutral cards in the middle of the deck. Then there's those three money, the three gold cards. In the middle of the play area. And yeah, sorry, not the middle of the deck. Yeah, just that are sitting out there in the middle in the neutral area of the table. And there's the three gold cards, which 
you know, brings it back around and that's how you buy units. Plus, there are those three other neutral cards which can have random effects or can be more military-producing things. So, so, like I said, it's really taking it to another level. Not only are there three resources, I mean, there's other deck-building games that have done two resources, but those resources are all intertwined in a very unique way. You don't just keep on building within one resource, or which is basically what the Penny Arcade deck-building game did, or Ascension, where you're, you know, mostly... Okay, there's the buying stuff resource, and then there's the fighting resource, and the two don't meet a ton. Uh, you tend to specialize in the other games. Yeah, uh, whereas in this, you, you can't really. Uh, now, like I said, there are four different ways to play this. Each scenario is designed to be used with an exact particular set of cards in the middle, although you probably could change some of that oh, up it, if it, you it, wanted. It, yeah. It even says in the rule book that um, those are the suggested cards that you use with them, but that you can swap them out as yeah, you choose. Yeah, the, depending on the scenario, you may have more or less options. For when you're in the purely co-op ones, a lot of them are, are kind of silly yeah. because they're they're about jacking the other players up. So the the other aspect of cards that are out there that you do not have in your decks is there's a there's a scenario card basically and an event deck and each scenario has its own event deck and those event cards get flipped up starting on the second turn cycle they get flipped up before each turn cycle they mostly are bad things that happen they're either enemies that go out in the middle of the table that you can use military to defeat or they're a one-shot effect that messes you up with you in some way so the pure co-op mode is called uh, or Cataclysm is what they call it, but there's a pure co-op mode, which is you just have to survive the nasty event deck, basically with the players working together and not doing anything to hurt each other. Right. There is a... There's the monument scenario, which is you win that game by buying your monument, so you have to get up to a high gold point, and you can attack each other in that game, but your attacks are limited to trying to steal cities that other players have acquired with their, their, their military. Yeah. And it ultimately, you can do stuff with military, but you cannot win militarily. You have to, to have gold production. The third scenario, which is the Return of the Dragon Lords, you win that with military by destroying the scenario card, which is just a really, really hard nut to crack. But you can kill other players. Yep. But and that doesn't let you win even if you eliminate all the other players. Yes, yes. In fact, we that played a game... That just makes them lose. We, we played a game earlier today where Everyone I took lost. out two of the other players, one of the events took out Mike, and then the events just wore me down because I uh, I just didn't have enough to beat the Dragon Lord b before I got checked. Because the events in that scenario, the events basically cycle back in, and so... I was just getting pounded over and over and over again. Yeah, the, the event deck is split, typically, except for one of the scenarios, into two. It's like about half one and half two stage. They're just shuffled and top, put right on top of each other, so the beginning effects are generally pretty mild, and then it builds to the second effects, and yeah. the second effects get shuffled back in. Yeah, but not, not the mild <laughs> no. first stage no. ones. You can be nasty in PvP with each other, but you ultimately can't win that way, and so the, the kind of combat that that 
adds in to attacking the cities is that you can attack other players' home base as well, which basically has 20 health, and you can attack it. You When you get into a fight with another player, whether you're attacking a city or their home base, both of you are just playing military units out of your hand. A lot of them do stuff when they come into play. They might mess up the other units. By default, all the units just go back in your discard pile, although there are a reasonable number of cards that destroy other units. One difference between Rune Age and most other deck building games is that anything that gets destroyed goes back into the pile to be bought again, which actually causes some problems in some corner cases. You'll have a card that has a really good effect that has destroyed as a cost, and so you can play it, which destroys it, and then you could just rebuy it. But when you're going after a city, mostly all that matters is that you beat their total. When you're going after their home base, however much you beat them by, you deal damage in order to stop players from getting completely ganged up on at the end of every single player's turn you always refill your hand back up to the five cards the final scenario is called rune wars it's purely pvp you're just trying to kill each other and the wrinkle that that in in addition to the wrinkle that that one adds is is that every player gets a a, a, a dragon rune card, mm-hmm. dragon which rune. gives them a little special power that they can mostly use. I think all of them are, are basically every turn, you every turn cycle at least, you get to to use them. And in the spirit of Highlander, there can be only one. So every time you knock somebody off, you get their rune. Yes, you get their rune, and then you have to decide which of the runes you want to use. I think you can't, you know, just have three runes sitting in front of you, and that's just last man standing yep. wins. So. What do you guys think overall about the game? I like the game... In a lot of ways, I like the game a lot. I actually have purchased every single one of the Runebound Universe games. I've played all of them. Um, And it's very consistent, especially starting with Rune Wars. They really started to get the identity of Tyranoth and all that type of place really set in. So these four factions are the same ones you'll find in Rune Wars. They're the exact same, and they play very similarly. So the elves are very much about resource building. Um, their units aren't, they don't stick around quite as much, but they do extra things. Um, the humans are kind of sturdy, but just kind of back each other up. The, the Ulthak, the like, kind of chaos people, are very tactical. So they'll sacrifice people, but they'll get a big benefit out of it. And the undead, once again, are about making hordes and hordes of skeletons and just running you over with them. Um, so it's kind of cool seeing the cities. Um, part of that is the art. I have to say that the art in this game probably stands out to me almost more than anything. It, it's, it's, I, you know, I take it for granted out of a Fantasy Flight game anymore. Their art's almost always just fantastic. But this one specifically, uh, when I was playing it at Gen Con, quite a few people were sold just on the art. Like, they just absolutely love the cities and whatnot. So it's cool to see that. Um, I like that it builds complexity. The, the, they're pushing the complexity button, and they're doing it in a sophisticated way that, in my opinion, only really Fantasy Flight does anymore. Um, some of the European game places do that too, but uh, this one is really trying to make you, you know, not only is there three resources, you can't ignore any of the resources. The different scenarios make you focus on a different resource, typically. So the monument's going to make you focus on gold, and the resurgence of the Dragon of the Lord's going to make you focus on military. Um, but for the most part, you, in none of the modes can you ever ignore it. Um, part of the, the monument, uh, the Latari elves are very good at the influence, the, the one that lets you buy the stuff in the middle. 
And um, so to kind of compensate that, since the influence is what buys you gold, they would have a big advantage very quickly of, you know, just sneaking in and buying their monument really, really fast. And there was a couple of times, because I played the Atari Elves when we were playing it, uh, there were a couple of times I could have won if my uh, guy was only, if my monument was only 10. So, so that's a pretty good balance. But the thing is, I did still try and build that way. And since I did that, since there was the, the, there's a card that you could buy that was a very high influence cost. But once you did it, you played it, you get to look at somebody's hand and take the card out of their hand. Um, so while I did that, Chris and uh, Jay and Kevin all uh, did more of the influence stuff, more of like a medium road, and it, it stopped me because I, I hit a high point where my deck was thinned, but it wasn't quite to where I needed it to be. So because I didn't focus on military towards until like towards the end of the game, I really kind of suffered for it. Yeah, and the way that the monument scenario makes military matter and this is pretty good design on their part, is that that event deck has a lot of enemies that pop up that when you defeat them, they come into play as as rewards, I believe they're called, yep. and they produce gold, which is what you need to, to, to win the game. Because gold doesn't buy gold, because it's a multi-resource system, that monument thing probably it would have a very hard time working in something like dominion because everything would fuel in on itself yeah. it it works because of the way that the different mechanics build in around themselves there's only every limited amount of influence available because it's just a handful of cities that start on the board and they can pass around but you can't just keep on buying a ton of them so you can't ever go and even though you can buy as many as you want of a particular card in a turn you're never going to be able to buy three three gold cards in one turn i think literally in that scenario you can't yeah you I, had all the buildings you should know <laughs> so at one point in time i had all of the uh the cities the neutral, neutral cities. cities yeah you could buy two uh, and I was mostly buying mine. Well, at that point, there were no golds left because we also made the decision earlier in the game. There's something Not that flips up. Not knowing the value of well, the gold. Well, you can either trash cards from your hand or you can trash some gold out of the middle of the... It's like, so everybody was like, oh, I'll just get it out of the middle. Who cares? This hampers everyone hey, equally. Hey, I, I could... Uh, I would have not trashed from my hand, but I didn't have enough. <laughs> well, it, it, you had to have two of a specific type, and I only had the one. I, I actually had it, but I decided, you know, I've gotten a couple of gold. I don't know if anybody's seen me get a couple of gold already, and it only been like fourth or fifth turn or something. I was like, I'll trash it because I'm in a better position. I'll yeah, probably yeah. be able to get it faster, but uh, that... Yeah, I don't know that it was yeah. a, a mistake for us to do what we did. It was just that in the long run, it had an, it had the impact of stretching the game out because we, we just the resources could not available. Buy, yeah, there just weren't yeah. enough golds to buy to get people's decks up to a a, a higher threshold, threshold with yeah. that. Well, because I think I had most of the golds, but because mine cost more, I think if more other people had been able to get the gold, they might have been able to hit it faster. But since I had most of the gold, but I still couldn't hit mine. It kind of put us in this weird equilibrium. Yeah. What did you think, Jay? Uh, I mean, I I enjoyed the game. I I feel like I haven't played it enough to really get a handle of the strategy. That I think I've got the mechanics of the the balancing of the resources kind of okay. But yeah, I uh, I mean, it's a complicated game. That's a good thing. I I would definitely like to play it a few more times before I feel good saying, oh yeah, I'm good at that game. Uh, well, and I think one of its strengths is probably also one of its weaknesses. I would never take this to a non-gamer and get them to try and play this game. It, it is just going to be confusion, I think. Um, and 
also, like, I've played this, uh, the solitaire component to it. The Cataclysm, um, you can do solitaire where you're just trying to survive the event deck. You literally have to be so good at deck building and be able to build your deck so fast. Like, you have to have some experience at it. Yeah, I mean, even not necessarily a non-gamer, but I mean, I I have a couple friends who I play board games with fairly regularly that I wouldn't try to get them to play this game. They would hate it. I I think this is... I mean, it's really for a, a, a non-casual gamer. It's I, for a. I think it's a deck builder's deck game. It's yes. like for the power dominion power gamer would have you know a lot of interest in this possible. I think that is is part of it. All of these other things that we call deck building games, uh, I think there is a lot of area, a lot of space left to plumb within the concept of the deck building game because really at the core of it, it's deck building is just another way to go into this core game mechanic of of what your resource construction is it's you know it's instead of having tokens or pieces or something you just build everything into this one aspect of the game and dominion is a very pure expression of that and it's all about that and so a lot of the games that have come out they add new things but they're still within that same basic concept where everything feels like it's just about it's just about how do I build my deck. I actually think that this one is it's not that how you build your deck isn't important, but there's a lot more strategy that you have to think about. There, there's more resources than just the deck that you need to balance. Well, yeah, there's a lot of well, there's just a lot of different ways you can do it, different things you can do. When you flip your hand on your turn, there are actually choices that you have to make other than oh well there are 10 cards out there which which one do i want to buy because there's one that's always the best well i I think the first two turns almost always at least for me are always going to be buying the strongholds yes yeah that beyond that and they don't add to your deck so they those two turns are kind of steady but other than that even then um, somebody took a city i think you took a city on one of our first turns there was a game where and that Played out poorly for Jay, me. Jay took a yes. city on the first turn, and then on his and first then turn, you took it from me. And on my next turn, I took it away. The the strongholds that you buy out of your barracks, Can't no one can ever steal them. So you can always have a little bit of. And those cards, unlike everything else in the game, can be bought with two different resources. You can either right. buy them with military or with Gold. with money. Yeah, so you can. Good. Yeah, it always gives you some way of accessing influence. Yep. You could always get that little bit of influence out and then use those to buy two gold cards. So it's hard to compare this. I don't know if hard is right. It, it does not directly compare to other deck building games. This is not something you're like, well, I have Dominion and I have Thunderstone and I have Nightfall, so why would I need another deck building game? It, it really doesn't play at all like the rest of those. Just the addition of the mechanics adds in a whole other layer of of variety and strategy into the game. The downside of that, I guess, I guess it's a downside, is what you were talking about, Mike, is that this is a gamer game. One of the things I like about Dominion is that I can take that and I can actually play that with family. And that is... You know, I guess it's like with every other genre, there are, you know, more straightforward and then more complex aspects of games. And that can be a a plus or a minus. 
depending on what it is that you want in your gaming experience. Oddly enough, it felt like a downside for this, even though with all that sort of variety, the stuff that was available to purchase in the game, I wish it changed up a little more. You can play one faction or the other, and that faction will have a completely different set of in-the-barracks cards than everybody else does. But if you're that faction, it's always exactly the same set of cards. And out of the stuff to buy in the middle of the table, there's really only three different cards. The cities are... They're not you know, there's the just same. not a lot of difference. I mean, yeah, right. they would cost slightly more military to take. It produces slightly more influence. Yeah, again, there's some variation. The one that costs four military might be out there. The one that costs nine might be, but nothing that's going to affect how the game feels. And so if you've got a given deck in a given scenario, it, it, it plays the same way each time. So it will be interesting to see. I don't know if, I mean, I guess they will if it do, sells well because everybody adds more stuff on if it sells well. Right. But I guess it would be interesting to see how you would add Expand. more yeah, more cards into the barracks for a particular faction. You know, presumably your your base one cost guy that you start with some of your deck is always gonna have to to be the same, but it would be nice to see that chains up and a greater variety of cards for in the middle as well. I'd almost it would probably mess up the game balance. I almost want to say, like, I wonder what it would be like to put six different cards in the middle. But one of the the other things that's different about this is that there is a... Not only are there only three card different cards in the middle to the buy, but they're very scarce. The stack is five. Yeah, so for a four-player the, game. The stack a, is yeah, N plus it's, one. It's N plus one, yeah. So probably you're only getting two of whatever it is unless somebody unless gets unlucky gets screwed, yeah. uh, about what they're... And even the the cities are also in plus one. So that you pretty much forces you to fight over them unless you're just happy with one guy having two cities. You might not bother to fight over the cities if whatever you want in the middle of the cost influence is depleted, if all the demons are bought up, is right. the, the cap card in a couple of the scenarios. It's a... Just well, a powerful uh, unit that can't be destroyed in the middle of the fight. Building on what you were saying, um, the one thing I felt was kind of missing out of this is, yes, you can fight for the cities and whatnot, and the cities will let you buy cards in the middle, but there's so little to buy in the middle. That, well, number one, it's really easy to miss on something. And the cards in the middle, typically there's like one that's a deck reducer. Well, you always want a deck reducer. I mean, you no, almost never want to... There's almost no time where you don't want to thin your deck. Um, and then the other two are usually big, beefy units are typically pretty good. So you almost always want as many of those cards as you probably can. Where, so whereas Dominion, your choice is, um, or a lot of other deck-building games, your choice is, there's plenty available for the most part. Which ways do I want to specialize? It's more like, when do I try to get these? Right, so before they as run soon out. as humanly possible. possible. Yes. Right. Yeah. And uh, the, the thing is with five, so someone might end up with two and everybody else ends up with one, or you might get where what was happening with me. I tried going another way in a couple of games, and or and, and Kevin had the same thing happen and missed out on a couple of cards. Like, yeah. I never got a demon, or uh, he never got the deck thinner. Yeah, one of the deck thinners is a sorcerer, which is a little unit, and that ended up that... Those weren't Yeah, fast. those, yeah, a, I, I maybe got three of them right away, and so... Something like that, yeah. But you're not supposed to get more than two, or else somebody's not getting any, and the the one gold card is, I mean, as they often are, typically, it's atrocious. Yeah. yeah. You desperately want those things out of your 
your deck. They're they're not any good for buying anything. Money often feels if you're not in the monument, money often feels less important as the game goes on. Well, I mean, the the thing that kind of especially mitigates, in small amounts, right? The thing that kind of mitigates that though is um, for I would say that for the majority of the factions, the low cost units still have some purpose. Um, yeah. Um, even though they're not very high military, and you still don't want too many of them, they they combo pretty well. And that's one of the things that they've probably done the best. They don't have as many deck thinners, but they don't quite need it as much as they normally right. would. Right. I mean, it doesn't yeah, feel yeah. like, oh, in, in a lot of other games, you'll be like, oh, I've got one money to spend. There's nothing to do with it. Here, oh, I've got one money to spend. I'll buy my cheap guy. He's he's fine to go in the deck. Yeah. And, and the other thing is the monsters that you attack, there's an attrition die. Uh, on, for most of the monsters, and it's a black die they include with the game. Um, I think it's two sides are blank. It's a six-sided die. It's two sides are blank. Like three sides are one skull, and one side is two skull. Whenever you attack, you play all your guys out Stupid to two skull to attack. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you have to roll a die, and whatever you roll, how many ever skulls you roll, that's how many units you have to destroy back to their piles. Um, before you even count whether or not you actually have won. So that's another way that they kind of force you to thin the deck, because you actually want those cheap guys to be able to absorb that damage, even a lot of times at a higher level. Um, so they do have some of that built in, but I don't know. Like The other weird thing is that you fight for influence. Like The, the cities are what provide influence, the majority of the influence, other than the little bit of strongholds that you have. Um, so why I found you found the most interaction was where I'm trying to steal your city from you. So it, I like that interaction. The problem was a lot of times towards the middle of the game, there's nothing to buy with. Like, you know, the, the besides right. the gold. Why bother going after your city? Because the piles are gone. Yeah. There's nothing to go after. Yeah. Well, I, I had games as the, I'm going to call them the Knights. I know they have yeah. a, a, a flavor name in, in Tyranoth. I would launch attacks on cities. So I could play some of my cards that some of the units that said draw a card to hopefully get something that would. This was in the monument center. And I'm like, okay, let's see if we can get up some more gold some money, yeah. to actually hit the eleven because the human needs to hit eleven as well. Probably because they have the card draw. The elves have more of an ability to. The, the thing that the elves do with the resources is that they, let's call it untap the uh, the cities. <laughs> yeah, well, well, their base unit can untap when it's played. It can untap something that creates uh, influence uh, yeah, city so, or stronghold. Yeah, and influence is what buys money, so that lets them buy money better, whereas the humans have a little bit better of an ability to to draw into yeah, money. They, they thin their deck out, kind of, uh, not really thin it, but they go through it pretty fast. The elves also have uh, their level 2 character. Um, you can put it into play as a two-influence card, but once it's done at the end of the turn, it gets destroyed. Yeah. So they have another option that way, too. Yeah, I, I think the other downside is that the undead seem a little good, especially well, they, they in the PvP really scenarios. Yeah. I mean, they have a really fast opening game. Yeah, the central card of the undead deck is called Reanimate, and it's it's just a one military unit that costs one. You start with three of them, and... Every time you put one in the play, if you have one in your discard pile, you can put it in the play. It doesn't trigger again. But they get to open up really strongly because you can, you know, your, your usual starting hand, it's going to have a reanimator two in it and then some one gold cards. And so you spend a one gold card to put a reanimator in your discard pile. And then you can go after one of your stronghold cards 
which requires two Millity to take. You play one reanimate out of your hand, bring the other one back in from the discard pile, and then snag your stronghold. And then if you have two reanimates in your starting hand, you just... Get both of your strongholds. Uh, yeah, then sure. you get to get both of your strongholds, which, whereas nobody else can do that. Everybody else can only ever get one, and so that immediately gets you your influence going faster, which I think in both the PvP and the semi-PvP scenario, there's a, a juicy two influence card yeah. to mm -hmm. pick up. I know there is, and I know the battle cry and the, right. the, the semi-PvP one, the, the one. Is, is really good. And then just more quickly, you can start running into the the center of the board to get the cities and what happened in like the game we played today where i was the undead and you were playing the semi pvp the demon is the big influence card in the middle so i was able to get yeah three of the five super units in addition to having all the reanimates that come in i mean the deck can get pounded on if people want to because once you reshuffle your deck and you don't have reanimates in your discard pile you can have trouble and sometimes you get the the hand on your defense it's like well i get to refill this but it's never going to get empty to get refilled because it just had all coins in it Great. or all gold in it to to start with but and then it matters less in some of the other scenarios but yeah they don't really seem balanced entirely in no, the i mean the one thing that i do like about it they do feel very different which is not the case for most deck-building games. Well, your deck feels a little bit different depending on how you're building it, but this you're coming into it knowing that it's basically going to work one of maybe two ways, depending yeah. on what you're buying. Um, but at the same point, yeah, the, the balance seems a little bit... The elves can be very strong, but you have to know what you're doing like way ahead of time. Um, I felt like the humans are actually probably overall the weakest... Just in, just in my personal opinion, or how, how my experience with it. But, you know, no, the balance doesn't feel quite right. Yeah, yeah. Well, the elves, the elves definitely have a weak opening game. Yeah. Uh, because they aren't really in a position to do anything with their little straightener base guy. No, uh, I mean, they're pretty good. They're actually kind of stronger in the middle game, where they really... Actually, I think they're better in the end game, because... The middle game is where they really start to attack you and then get influence back. So theoretically, the middle they is where they really buy. right. Whereas yeah. the out the undead begin like burst really hard at the beginning. The middle is more where the elves come. In. But the problem is sometimes you know the end doesn't really stop. So it's not like the middle for the undead is really that much slower. Yeah. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts, Jay? I enjoyed the game. Again, I w I wouldn't give it to everybody it is a complicated game but if you've got a group that likes complicated games i would definitely recommend it i liked it when i played it i bought it at gen con one of the positives i think that should be said is that it is a 35 dollars game so it's relatively inexpensive for this type of game um, i feel like it was a good value for what i got rune age and this kind of leads back into it, the rune age I like it. I like a lot of what it's trying to do. I really like how they're pushing it. I like the design. Um, what you were saying about putting six cards in, I thought about that too. But it, it feels so well designed or so streamlined designed, I feel like I'm going to break something yeah. trying yeah. to change something like that. But at the same point, I, as much as I like the individual pieces, I like the theme. I like how we lost the first one because we were squabbling and the Dragon Lords <laughs> came in and killed all of our cities. Well, that actually feels pretty thematic to me. Uh, which is a problem that you get with a lot of the other deck building games. A lot of times that theme falls through. Uh, 
But at the end of the day, it's not one I'm rushing to play. It's not one I'm rushing to bring out to my friends. You know, I've got a ton of games, and this is just not one. Like, a lot of the games ended up feeling kind of stalemated and slow and... And that's been a consistent. Well, part of that was our fault. That we were yes. Some of those games, like you said, the we we went after each other too much in the semi PvP, where taking each other out is not the win condition. Yeah, Yeah, I guess. I guess in the monument game, once the gold runs out, it starts feeling harder to like because you're trying to build up to more money, and once the high gold value cards start to run out. But again, part of that was. I think it went longer than it should have, but that was partially because we weren't playing very well. I I, yeah. I really think we were not playing well. We like like I was saying like and that the, the that was the first time I had played the monument game, and I didn't really realize until well into the game how important it was to take out the enemies that instead of fighting us that right. well that come yeah that permanently come into play and. Uh, and and provide you with gold and yeah I won that game but it took longer than it should have so I, I think that if we were slightly more competent in, in our playthroughs it that would not have been an issue well and see and that's the thing is I feel like Rune Age is one of those games you basically have to know what you're going to do just about going into it so you've got to change up your strategy but you really have to ha- keep your eye on the prize the whole game it, it it takes a lot of concentration but at the same point it's it feels like the more you play it, the more you might get out of it. Kind of like uh, the best CCGs. Okay, uh, so that was Rune Age from Fantasy Flight Games. It's one of their Silverline games. So like Mike said, it does come in at a relatively low price point. I think we would all agree that it really takes the deck building genre in a new and different and interesting place that it's good to see it go i like the genre but there's only so much you can plumb out of the the basic stuff uh i I think we've between dominion and then thunderstone and ascension i think you've seen a lot of that that base area already plumbed so if you are mildly interested in deck building games and you want to see what can be done with that sort of mechanic to make it more of a heavier strategy game i think that rune age that would be the sort of thing that you would like for jay earl and mike hook i'm chris stevenson and this has been strange assembly This is a Strange Assembly review of Seven Wonders and the first Seven Wonders expansion leaders. I'm Chris Stevenson. I'm Jay Earl. I'm Mike Cook. Seven Wonders came out about a year ago. It has been selected by many, many institutions as a, a game of the year, and in this, I know many of you probably already know everything about Seven Wonders, but since we haven't done a review of it, we are going to do a review of the base game of Seven Wonders and of the first expansion, which came out in the last few months, called Leaders. Seven Wonders is authorized for up to seven players, which is 
pretty darn unique yep. in games. It works with up to seven players because you only ever interact with the player immediately to your left and the player immediately to your right. And that interaction is not something that they care about that much. They don't have to worry about defend that much about defending or anything except in a very, very basic way. Yeah, so you don't have a bunch of little, chain. Very little ne negatively affecting your opponent. Yeah. So Most of it is, help, is giving your opponent money to borrow their stuff. Yes, yes, that's, that's the main thing. In Seven Wonders, the game always lasts exactly 18 turns. You go through three ages, creatively titled Age 1, Age 2, and Age 3. This is all still within Ancient World. Each player is distinctive from the other players because they have a, a wonder card. You are some ancient city, and you are building whatever your wonder is. Uh, there's the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Colossus of Rhodes, uh, that Pyramid, sort of thing. Giza. No, yeah. more of a, it's a wonder board. Yes, you have a board, and then the board helps you build your wonder. The board does two basic things. First, in the top left corner, it's got a resource that you uh, start with. That you start with. There are seven total resources in the game. I guess eight if you count money. Four of them are basic, you know, clay, wood, that sort of thing. Three of them, uh, I think, are manufactured, is what they call them, and that's papyrus and glass and uh, cloth. Uh, something along those lines. You know, whatever. We've all played Settlers of Catan. <laughs> um, or Civilization. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's one thing that your Wonder Board does. The other thing is that it lets you build your Wonder. Most of the Wonders are three stages. They cost something to build and then you get some sort of benefit for them. Victory points is the sort of default thing, but it, it changes up from board to board. Well, uh, ni nicely, all of the boards have an A-side and a B-side, and basically the A-side is probably what you want in the first game, because all of the Wonders have three relatively straightforward stages, whereas the B-side, some of them have more, some of them have less, and the abilities of each stage are more advanced. You get more interesting things... Complex, yeah. They're not Complex. stronger or weaker in, in game terms. And that also it just gives you more replayability. The base game comes with seven wonders, and so that really gives you 14 different things to, to play around with if you just have the, the base game. The, the core mechanic, which I think is... I, I think it's very creative, and I'm sure stuff like this has been done with games before, but not recently and not that, that I recall and not in anything that's done it uh, particularly well, is that in each age, you start with seven cards in your hand, and you play one of them, and then you pass the six to the player on your left. And then everybody, or you pick one that you're going to play, everybody simultaneously plays that card, and then you pass the rest to your left, and you pick one, and you play things, and things just go around in that sort of order. You can, with the cards, you can either get more basic resources, you can get manufactured resources, you can play uh, mm. cards that are just victory point cards, the, the private structures. Uh, you can advance science. You can add some military in. You can get money. I yeah, generate commerce. Commerce mm. is one of the other categories, and guilds is the final category, but they don't show up until later on. Until the third age. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the game, 
you want to have the most victory points and all of those victory coins for the most part come from the cards you have played uh in addition to just flat out playing cards you can build a stage of your wonder which just like most of the other cards requires resources and although some cards you can avoid paying the resources if in a prior age you've built something appropriate. So if you've built a school in one age, then you can build the university in the next age without worrying about whether or not you have the resource requirements. Or you can just pitch to get more coins. The primary use for coins is to borrow, like Jay said, is to borrow stuff from the players next to you. If you need wood to build something and either of the players next to you has access to wood, you throw them two coins and you get access to wood as well. It has no effect whatsoever on their yeah, wood. It's they not can trading. still use their wood. Yeah, it, it just is a way to get you a little bit more access. Is it the way you get victory points? There's military points. Like I said, there is a, a minimal amount of attacking which consists entirely of at the end of each of the three ages, you add up what structures you have that add military in, and it's you can buy the military structures and just all the other structures, they just sit on your table in front of you, they have little swords on them. And if you have more than the player on your left, you beat them. If you have more than the player on your right, you beat that person. Doesn't matter what anyone else at the table has. You get points if you win, you lose a point if you lose. So military is a way you can get points, but not so much a way that you lose points. You can relatively safely ignore it and it won't hurt you that that much. Uh, and it escalates with each age, so you get one point for winning for each person, the first, three for the second, five for the third. Military gets to be mo worth more points as things go on, but that's probably true of, of everything. I think that's yeah. why that escalates. You can get victory points for just having money left over, kind of give you a little something so you don't feel bad that you ended up with all these coins that you didn't want to spend. Your wonder typically gives you victory points for building it up. Like, uh, like Jay said, the the A-side wonders all have three stages. Some of them have more. Most of them end up giving you 10 points. Some of them give you more or less, especially when you get over to the B-side. Like the, the B-side of the Great Pyramids has four stages, and it's worth just tons of victory points by the time you get done. But it doesn't do anything else. A lot of the other wonders you know, will provide you with an ability or give you access to resources. There are what they call civilian structures, which are... Just worth points. I mean, you put them into play and they're, they're worth points. Yeah, and they don't do anything but be worth points. There's commercial structures, which are not usually worth a lot of victory points. Yeah, usually they get you money or uh, resources or make trading easier. Yeah, they generate money often by counting stuff that's going on on your board or the people next to your boards. They generate money or they make, yeah, they make it cheaper for you to buy stuff from other players. Usually it costs two coins. A lot of the commerce cards make it our, only cost one. Right, our trading center, so I can now trade to the guy on my left for just one instead of giving him two. Yeah. Then there's the guilds, which come up only in the last age, like Mike said, and are, I guess, like the private structures, are... I think are they entirely just you get victory points for this yeah, card? Right. Yeah, they're, they, they're they don't victory do points, else. but they're quite often based on your neighbors. Yeah, they're, they're, they're funky sorts of things. It's like, oh, I have control of the Shipwrights Guild, so I 
my guild gets more powerful if there's just more people doing this right. kind of activity. Or I, I, so. this, the, I think it was the Spies Guild. Both of my neighbors are really military, so I get victory points because of that. Yeah, that, that makes them stronger. Uh, the final way of getting points is science structures, which are probably the funkiest way that the points work. There are three different kinds of science, and you get take the number you have of a certain kind, square it up, and then you get also get points for having spreads across. So they're probably the most complicated of the kinds of points, and they're the main kind of point that if you're playing the game for the first time and you don't realize how the points work, yeah, I didn't realize they were just... for, for worth points at all the first time we played. I thought they were a special resource. Yeah, because the only thing on the card is just the one big symbol that right, provides. the icon. Yeah. So I, I had missed that that was worth a point. Yeah, and so if you've got if if you're not really paying attention to the science cards and the people next to you are just slurping Getting up them, all the yes. science cards and and it can affect both people next to you because you alternate back and forth which direction you're passing cards right and the um the, the other thing is it's one of those things you know a lot of times you jump into a game like this and you figure out the stuff you figure out really fast and you're like oh okay I'll, I'll figure that out later you know towards the end of the game the problem with science is it builds into itself because there's a lot of buildings that give you other buildings for free so you're sacrificing being able to build other type of buildings because you're not grabbing basic resources but you get those buildings for free, so you don't have you haven't sacrificed as much, or it, it trades off. Um, but then by the time you get to the end, and you're like looking at how to score, and maybe phase three or something, you realize, oh wait, this guy has a ton of points, and I passed him a whole bunch of those points. And <laughs> I haven't gotten any of this. Yeah. So I think in the base game, that's pretty much everything that there is running around. I think it was a very good game. I mean, I think that, that's just the flat-out more overall, and I usually, you know, when you have more specific things to say, they're kind of negative. Before I even launch that, it's like, I think all of us just think it's a really, really good game, as do, like, apparently everyone else who's ever played it. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely think, uh, especially since it will actually support the five people in my usual game group, I think I'm going to pick up a copy. Yeah. Um, I, I like it on uh, a couple different reasons, but the main reason is that it is simple and fun. And it scales very well. Even if you don't really know what you're doing, even if you don't win, it's still pretty fun to play the game, in my opinion. Yeah. It, it goes very easy. It's not very hard. It's something you can take to Thanksgiving pretty easily. Yeah, you can have a bunch of people who are constantly doing something. You can add a lot of people in. Nobody has to sit and wait for everybody else to take their turn. There isn't a massive amount of analysis and potentially analysis paralysis that has to go into it because you have so many different factors to deal with. I think that probably the the one thing I I don't know how you could possibly fix it is that there are a lot of random symbols on the cards especially once you get past the basic resources and I can see that being a little bit of an impediment to trying to bring it into non-gamer environments where it could otherwise do right. do pretty well so like I think light gamers will be perfectly fine with it but non-gamers might have a little trouble. Yeah. Well, I mean, my thinking on that is, yeah, it goes very quickly because you don't have to worry about interaction with anybody. Um, but the one thing is, if, you're, if you take it to Thanksgiving, you're going to know what you built if you've played this a few times. You know, you're, you're going to know basically which way you're going to go. So I figure you're going to pick your card really fast, and then you're going to help everybody else. And so everybody else is probably going to deliberate about the same amount of time because they don't know what to pick. And honestly, it's fun enough, even if you don't know what you're doing, 
you can just tell everybody this is just you know learn have right, fun I mean, or whatever. It's not like other games where you you feel like you made the w- wrong choice and you're completely blown out of the game. It, it's not even, demoralizing, right? Even, yeah. Even making poor choices, you're still doing pretty well point wise at the end of the game. I mean, there's no a completely atrocious choices to make. And even if you are doing badly, the reason you're doing badly is because you don't really understand what's going on, which means you won't know that <laughs> you're, you're doing, doing really bad. badly. <laughs> yeah. So you may at the end realize, like, oh, I just lost by 30 points, but you will still enjoy yourself the whole time that, that you're playing it. And so that's kind of interesting. Even though it's a game where theoretically all the points on the table are public knowledge, it's not the sort of thing where you're constantly tracking exactly it, how yeah. many people have. And you really couldn't once you get past the two players that are next to you, so I've actually been kind of thinking about that lately, and in a lot of games, a bonus that it's hidden who exactly is doing well, just because, especially especially games where you can't do anything to catch up, just because then you don't know, yeah. and that lets keep people in the game and having fun yeah. for more, so... I mean, I think it's hard, unless you're like, oh, I must have only games who are really, that are really heavy strategy, it feels like it's almost hard to go wrong with Seven Wonders. Yeah. yeah. Some of the other games that this, I don't want to say borrows from, but like it are kind of in that same vein. One of my favorites is like uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, and this has a lot of that same strategy, but without a lot of the oops, I messed up. Yes. And, and you can really see very quickly how you've gone wrong. It's not really unfun to play that game past that point, but you realize that realistically there's there's no coming back. Yeah, I think in this yeah. game there actually is a little bit of coming back. If you can get the right cards and have specialized, aside from the science stuff, you can swing pretty well. And none of the games were a total shutout. Yeah, and it's not a solved game. I mean, the other no. thing with Puerto Rico, while I like Puerto Rico, there's, I mean, there is always officially a right play in this. You know, you got to make judgment calls. You don't know what's going to come around. You, so you don't know what other, yeah, you don't know what other players are are snatching. But there is still also some strategy, like in Puerto Rico. Uh, even if you don't go for the solve game or whatever, I'm not going to bother looking at that. I just like having the fun of the game. I can tell that my neighbor is going for like wool. So I might steal a wool because I don't have anything else to want, but I can just spite them. And you can still kind of get something like this. If yeah, you I can know, certainly hate draft. That, yeah. that came up in our games where it was like, I don't, I don't really need this. I don't really want anything. I'm going to take this just to screw you, Chris. Yeah, yeah, and the basic way you do that is, because this is one of the things that came up, some of them, the structures build on each other. Like within the, the blue structures that are just victory points, age one, there's an altar. Age two, there's a temple. Age three, there's... Something Pantheon. else. Pantheon. Pantheon, yeah. And each of them plays for free if you have the prior one. And we had one of the games. And they're H2. expensive if you don't have yeah. them. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the Stage 3 private ones are yeah, generally quite expensive if you haven't built up. And there was a game where yeah, I didn't like any of the cards that are in my hand, so I was just going to take my turn to just build up my wonder. And, and I looked over and I saw, like, hmm, Mike has an altar and one of these cards is a temple. I don't want to let him have that for free. <laughs> so I stuck it under. And then later in the game, he was like, curses, if I only had a <laughs> temple, temple, I could play this pantheon. It's like, this temple? <laughs> 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 well, and that's what I kind of like about the game. Not only is there hate drafting, you can tell that they specifically built it in. Because, um, one because of the, yeah, you, there's you, several ways to throw the cards for, yeah, for have, some benefit. You have three different options in a, in a turn. Um, you can either build it just paying the cost and putting it faced up. Um, you can ditch it face down in the middle to get three gold. 
or you can you actually have to use that card for your turn face down to build the wonder to show that you've built that stage of the wonder. So that's how that wonder kind of works. But that means that um, there are other cards that uh, are in the game where you can play out of the discard. So even discarding it, there's a possibility they might get it back. Putting it under your wonder, they're never going to see it again. So yeah. it's kind of a nice way that, you know... Uh, and most of the wonders, you don't necessarily have to build the stage at any one time. So it's really good to maybe hold off on that a little bit. Kind of shove it under that. I, I kind of like the strategy. Yeah. Okay. So now that's the base game. In addition, like we said, recently, uh, I think within the last couple of months, they came out with an expansion called Leaders. And the main new thing that it adds to the game is a new type of card called Leaders. Crazy. One of the things about the base game that makes the expansion a little different in how they have to do the expansions here is that except for the guilds in Stage 3, it's fixed exactly which cards are in each deck. And they actually have a very precise... It's Each of the cards says on the bottom 3+, plus, 4+, plus, 5+, plus, 6+, plus, 7+. Plus. And if you're playing with three players, all the threes go in, and then the four, fourth players, all the fours go in. So it, it builds up naturally. So if you were going to add new cards into those decks... You'd have to replace. Yeah, you'd have or to have, like, turns. this replaces something, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Or, or add a fourth age. At some point, yes, you could just add a fourth age to this. Or add a seventh turn to each age, or... Yeah, but you, you'd have to substantially change the game. Yep, uh, yeah. So, the new cards that it adds for the existing deck are just guilds. Yeah, for only four of them, and most of them interact with the leaders. Yeah, and so the leaders is the main thing, and they add an extra step at the beginning of the game and then they add an extra step at the beginning of each age and at the beginning of the game each player is dealt four leaders and obviously it comes with a big old stack of leaders so there's enough for everyone in a seven player game to have a leader and I think and even more than that yeah so even if you always play seven players it's it's never quite exactly the same I think I think it's 32 because there's one city the new city that comes with it that you get four extra. Yeah, mm. yeah, okay, yeah. The, yeah, that's right, it would have to be, yeah. the new And the new city is Rome. Yep, uh, the Colosseum. And, yeah, and all of its abilities relate to leaders. One side lets you play your leaders for free, but it's cheaper. We'll get to that. At the start of the game, after you have your wonder, but before you, or your wonder board... Oh, but and probably important, just a note really quick, that you start with six gold instead of three gold. Yes, I was going to say that later because oh. the reason you start with the extra coins is to pay for the leaders. Right. You start, yeah, so you have the leaders. Some of the leaders cost as little as one, cost them as much, some of them cost as much as six. The way you deal the leaders out is, again, another draft. You get randomly dealt four, just like in the normal sort of cards, you get dealt seven at the start of the age. At the start of the game, you get dealt four, you look at the leaders, you take one, you pass the, next, the rest to the right, which I think it's the right, and then... You take one of those, and then you keep on going until you get four leaders. You have the option of playing one of these leaders at the start of each of the ages. And you pay the cost, and they go into play, and they stay in play for the rest of the game, and they have some sort of effect. Some of them give you bonuses right away, like they give you an extra military, or... A discount on some specific types of cards. cheaper. A lot of them are worth victory points it, at the more. end of the game depending on what you've done and they can they can push the sort of strategy you're going to take and, and so often when you're drafting I think you want to try to look at a leader that you put down right away that's useful for the duration of the game where stuff like victory point leaders don't need to be played until later and it actually may be more beneficial to play them later so people can't mess with you and so 
there's leaders for all sorts of different strategies. There's there's leaders that get you points for each of the different kinds of cards. You want to buy more private structures, you want to buy more science. There's leaders that reward you for having a lot of money. Leaders reward you for having a lot of different kinds of cards. All sorts of uh, of stuff in there, and and you can kind of see that they're tiered. the The ones that you'd kind of want at the beginning tend to be kind of cheaper, and then as they get to be victory points, they're going to be more gold, which makes sense. But that's also you'd play them later. Uh, but like I said, yeah, you start with six coins instead of three. I don't think we even mentioned that in the base game. You start with no, three yeah. coins, so you start with more coins now because you're going to be spending, you're spending more because yeah. you have the leaders, and you may have to spend up to six. Right. Depending on your first turn, depending on who so you're you could raised. actually end up spend, starting out with less coinage because you've spent it on yeah, your leader. Yeah, because you spent it on your leader. Now, you don't have to buy your leader. Once you've taken your leaders, there are definitely some leaders that are better than other leaders. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, and Intentional, I think. And not even just, I mean, they cost less, but even considering the lesser cost, they don't feel as good. Well, and your wonder tends to, I mean, the A side probably less so than the B side, but the wonder tends to guide you at, uh, as to what the better way to go for your deck is. Um, it, it's not like a whole lot. It's not like I can play. I play this and I have to play this. It's just one that it's going to work out better. Yeah, and well, the leaders tend to do the same thing. So if it doesn't, if you don't get anything that really works well with the strategy, you're going to go for. Yeah, and so at the start of that age, if you don't want to buy a leader, you can do the typical card do the normal things. thing. Yeah, you can if you have the resources there. I mean, you wouldn't have this in the first age, but if you have the resources, you can throw your leader under your wonder board to build the next stage of your wonder. Theoretically, or, you could. I mean, because you got six gold, so you could pay the extra resources, and if it only costs three, and your neighbors, right? Oh, I mean, you, yeah, you, you you're, have you're, to look out that you yeah. have the resource, and one of your neighbors has you're the resource. Unlikely, but yes, you, you theoretically could do it sort of thing, but that's probably more likely to Second, happen third. later on. Or you can just especially if you don't have any coins and you can't afford the leader, you can cash your leader in for three coins, just like you could do that with a, if you have nothing better that you, you want to do on the turn. As Mike uh, said, the new board, Rome, yeah, it's all about leaders. Uh, one side lets you just play your leaders for free. Woohoo! And the other one, the other side of the Colosseum, makes your leaders much cheaper, other players' leaders somewhat cheaper, but then over the course of the game, it lets you draw four more leader cards into your hand and then play a couple of more leaders down. So you can end up with a, a bunch of them on, on the board. And then some of the... At least one of the new guilds interacts with leaders. <laughs> so... Uh, is the Gamers Guild in Seven Wonders or is that in the expansion? No, that's the expansion. That's the expansion, yeah. So now you can get the Gamers Guild. And you also get the um, Courtesan Guild, which you put the Courtesan on a leader and you get that leader's spell. Yeah. So... I liked the addition of the leaders. It's nice in that, uh, you know, one of the things that we sometimes say when you're reading the game is, oh, this game feels like it needs an expansion. Seven Wonders by itself does not need an expansion. I mean, you can play Seven Wonders and never feel like you're missing anything. Nope, because they have all the bases covered in the base game. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think that uh, the leaders is an interesting addition. I don't think it, it's necessary. Messes, well, it doesn't mess with it any. It doesn't hurt the game any. I, sometimes expansions do that. Yeah. It adds more variety because now instead of just getting your faction board, it adds in to... So, I mean, if you don't have Seven Wonders yet, you're probably okay like getting Seven Wonders and doing... And if I was going to teach somebody who's not a gamer to play Seven Wonders, I would just start with the base game. Yeah. But but then again, I mean, even if you were to teach somebody leaders, it, it's not super complicated. I mean, No, no. It, it's really just one more wrinkle yeah. into it. The, the only thing is they, uh, the leaders do tend to be very symbol-heavy. 
the, the rule book, most of the middle of the rule book is just telling you what the leaders actually do. Yeah, because so, yeah, they're all doing un- relatively unique, unique sorts of things. So yeah, again, simple heavy. And now, once you get the hang of it, if you play, you know, you can look at the symbols and kind of tell what they are. But if you're, again, if you're going into a, a non-gamer sort of crowd right. where they're already intimidated by anything that's even semi-complicated, right. then... There's going to be a mental block there. Right, but uh, I mean, I if think. Were, well, also just, I mean, if it's a new symbol, you're you're not going to have, you could guess, but you won't know. I mean, when we first yeah. looked at the leaders, we were like, I have no idea what half of these do. Pass the rule book. There were a handful no. that you couldn't tell at all. They're very unique. There were a couple that, I mean, I twice, I think, when we were playing with the leaders, I looked at the leader, said, oh, it does this, and I was completely wrong about what the leader did having, you know, from looking at the symbol. Yeah. And it wasn't curse a, you. And it was it was a pretty reasonable uh, conclusion that you came to. Yeah, uh, but but I mean, again, yes, reading the rule book helps you play the game better. <laughs> Who knew? Well, but, that, but that's yeah. not even really the rule book. It's a reference sheet for, uh, yeah, for symbols. Yeah, so. yeah, it's. Yeah, I guess it's not even a rule for what does this symbol on in the in the base game. It's more rules for what different symbols mean. In this, it's more like this is a unique symbol that you will not find on any other card. Right. I mean, even the guilds and stuff tend to use the same symbology for the most part. There's a couple unique things on the boards and whatnot, but yeah. Um, the, the other thing I would say about Seven Wonders leaders, uh, just for like the f- the friendly things, if I were to see even non gamers after like say I saw them for Thanksgiving and Christmas and then something in the beginning, if I were to consistently bring this and people really liked it and we played it a few times, I'd feel pretty comfortable adding. Yeah, yeah. Once you're comfortable with it, it's not really hard to add back in. So yeah, and I think that's that's good for an expansion. It changes things up. It adds variety. It's very easy in to a take way. back out. Yeah, it, well, in a way that that you can take back out. It doesn't mess with things, and it. I, I think it adds variety in an in an interesting way, frankly. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's some additional complication, but not not a bunch. So, and again, I guess you know we go back to what we said is like. Everybody's got to make their own decisions, but Seven Wonders is just really nice. Yeah. If, you know, you've got people who might want to play this sort of thing and the extra 50 bucks laying around to do it, it's hard to go wrong picking it up. And the quality is really, really good on everything. The art's yeah. really good. The quality of the cards is really good. The card of the uh, the quality of the boards is really good. Yeah, the boards the, are beautiful. The, the packaging yeah. is really good. It's very easy to pack. The, the, they actually have three different card holders for the three different ages. And the car, the pools, the wells are about twice the size of the deck, so it's pretty easy to fit more stuff in. I'm gonna put my leaders in the base box yeah, and have plenty yeah. of room, and plenty of room for more stuff if they were to come out. Yeah, which I'm sure they will. Leaders, as far as it goes, it's not a game where you should feel like, oh, I, no, I, I can't just buy the base game. I have to go buy the expansion. But once you've got, if you already have Seven Wonders. You've played it a bunch and you just want a little bit more variety, a little bit more complexity. Leaders is a good addition. If you like it how it is, it you know, if you don't have it Seven Wonders yet, you don't need to get the expansion to have it be a complete game yeah. experience. Do you guys have any other final thoughts? Yeah, uh, just uh, a couple really quickly. Um, I like how this merges, like, like I said, a lot of the European building games. Um, the one kind of downside is if you do like interaction with people, it's fairly limited in that. So, that, I mean, it's not really that's not really a negative. It's just what your preference is. Your final thought doesn't always have to be something that's a downside of the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's really it's really not for me. But you know, if if you don't like the sol- you know, the solitaire of like the deck building type games, this is. <laughs> if you want something that's heavy cutthroat, 
Yeah, Go look somewhere else. Yes. Yeah, no. um, the uh, the science feels a little bit strong. The military feels a little bit weak. But other than that, everything I like how it it encapsulates like a civilization type experience. But it's light and fun, and you, you're never going to have this game go very long. You're never going to have this game really drag that I've ever seen. And it's just a really fun, and there's it's very simple, but at the same point, there's a lot that you can get out of it. I, I really want to play it over and over again. What he said. Okay. I'm Chris Stevenson for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, and this has been a Strange Assembly Review. You've been listening to Strange Assembly. You can download more episodes of Strange Assembly on iTunes or from our website at www.strangeassembly.com. While you're at our website, you can check out the frequently updated main page or talk with us on the forums. You can also email me directly at chris at strangeassembly.com or you can follow Strange Assembly on Facebook or Twitter Strange assembly either place. Thanks for listening.